Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. A pleasure to be here before you all again. Uh, as you probably were able to last week, we had a sermon on uh, politics in the upcoming election. Hope you get a chance to check that out so you can just have a kingdom focus on this upcoming election. What I want to do is I just kind of want to briefly say something that we already said, and that is how should we frame this sermon series? Well, what we've said is that children, you teach them to sing and you teach them to talk, but you do not have to teach children to cry. Children automatically learn how to have that breath come in their lungs and make the sound of crying because they feel something and so they express it. Only children are given, though, the space to say what they want without actually saying what it is specifically. That's how we view kids. They cry. And we have to figure out what it is they need. Now, the problem is sometimes we stay in that emotionally. We stay in that state of feeling things but not being able to express exactly what it is. In other words, we don't say what we need. And in essence, we, we stay spiritually immature and emotionally immature. What we also said is feelings are a dashboard to see where you are, not a destination to live in. Just because you feel a type of way doesn't mean you have to express it uh, amongst people. It means that there's a process and we ought to learn from it. So we don't want to be spiritually and emotionally immature by not stating what we need. And we also don't want to just feel things and express them randomly. We want to learn what's happening inside of this. It's with that in mind that we talk about sadness today, the third emotion that we are jumping into. When I pastored a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, there was a woman, we'll call her Brenda. Brenda had a brother die. He died in a, a motorcycle accident. So I went up there and I did the funeral. And while I was going up there to do the funeral, it was amazing. Brenda, she had, you know, arranged everything and she had everybody there and, you know, she had everything laid out for me when I got there. And so I ended up doing the funeral. And then after the funeral, there was food there and she had all the food laid out and she was making sure everybody was taken care of. And she was making sure that I had my food. And then after the food was done, she was cleaning up. And after she cleaned up, she made sure everybody got home. And after she got home. She made sure that all the arrangements, you know, in terms of finances uh, for the family was taken care of. And so after I, I see her in the church and I kind of just pulled her aside and I said, Brenda, how are you doing? And she just, she almost kind of looked at me like, you know, it's, I don't have time for all that, Pastor James. You know, I, I've got to make sure I get stuff done for my family. I got to make sure I get stuff done. I, I don't have time to do that. Like I got to, I got to push through, you know, I, 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 I got to be strong. And as I looked at Brenda's life, that's how she lived. She had worked her way up. She, she came from this small town in North Carolina. She had worked her way up in this banking industry. And I knew her life. I knew that she had worked through molestation when she was young. I knew that her daughter uh, went, went out on drugs. I knew that her husband had been cheating on her. I knew that her grandchild was going through a bunch of emotional issues because her mother had left. I knew all these things, and you could not tell when you were around her. She would never let herself be down. 
She had taught herself that she has to be perpetually strong and never sit and ever have the emotion of being down. And many of us have learned to push through those down feelings, those emotions that make us feel weightier, that, that we start to think about missing people, that we start to think about the past and they, we feel how it feels. And, we, and because we've seen sadness and grieving as a thing to be removed, as a thing to move aside, we never really learn from sadness. We never really sit with grief. We never really, like Brenda, we never really slow down to think, I just lost my brother. And some of you have been let down. You've been let down by parents or you've been let down by friends. You've been let down by situations. And some of you won't let yourself be down. You got to stay up. You got to stay strong. You got to hustle. You got to keep moving. And you've been taught that. In many ways, we have been taught that godliness is associated with unemotional, being unemotional, right? By just pushing through, even so much so that people would look at her and say, look how strong she is, holding up everyone else. The fact of the matter is, sadness is something we have to embrace, something we need to enter in, allow ourselves to engage a definition of sadness, Chip Dodd writes in his book, sadness is the feeling that speaks to how much you value what is missed and what is gone and what is lost. Sadness is proportional, meaning the more sadness you had, the more value you had in what was lost. It means you cared about it. And when you, when you show that feeling of caring, sometimes it, it, it hurts so bad because you authentically cared. And you teach yourself, I'm never going to care again because I don't want to hurt again. And so we become callous. And we move through life. Never letting people let us down. Never being down. Because we got to be strong. And in so doing, we look nothing like Jesus. Because if the scriptures are true, the prophecy in Isaiah 53 says, he was despised and rejected by man, listen to this, by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The word there, acquainted with grief is something we talked about the other week when we talked about loneliness. It is the word in Hebrew, yada. And yada means you know intimately, you have a deep understanding of it. We used, it was used in, in terms of friendships. But this is saying he knew grief so well because he experienced it so much. He had a tagline, man of sorrows. In many ways, we want to be we want Jesus to be a man of strength. And if Jesus was a man of sorrows, that means he cared deeply. And people let him down. It goes on to say that as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was rejected by men and he cared about them. So it hurt. And if you're ever going to love people, that means you're going to be hurt. It means you're going to care and someone's not going to care 
the same back. And you're going to feel those pains. And so what we have to do is we have to get in our minds that sadness is not something to just be rejected. It's something to embrace. It's something to sit in and think about because we understand what we value because of that. One of the myths that we kind of think about and what we mentioned before is a myth is I have to keep it together for my family. I have to keep it together for the the people in my church. I, I have to be strong. And the truth of the matter is you can't feel for others. You can only feel with them. You cannot fully sympathize with people. You can't fully connect with people. And the more that you don't live an emotionally honest life, you end up making other people that way. So when they're sad, you're like, well, that, oh, come, wipe those tears. You, do, you, do, you stop and you push them through the emotion of sadness because if they're sad, then you might get sad and you start thinking about all your junk. So you don't allow people to be authentically down. Come on, pick, pick it up, everybody. And so with that, there's a real level of ownership you have to allow people to have over, over where they're at. And you have to have ownership over where you're at. Now, I want to just make a side note, and I mentioned this, um, and we're going to come back to this, but sympathy and empathy. Empathy is when you don't have the same experience and you try to understand, and sympathy is when you're having the same experience and you understand. You understand what they're going through. But one of the things that we cannot get confused is that it is hard for people to fully sympathize with you because they did not experience the things that you experience fully. When someone leaves your life and they go, I get what you mean, they do to a degree, but they don't fully understand because they didn't fully, fully feel the weight of the joys you felt. They didn't fully experience that person the way you did. So they cannot fully sympathize. They can only try to a degree. So in the same way you can't feel for others, others can't totally feel for you. You've got to go through your own process. You've got to be able to think about the things that they said to you, the joys that you had with them. Another myth is the pain will go away faster if you ignore it. We say things like this. We say, don't cry over spilled milk. We say, suck it up. Get over it. No big deal. We say things like it's water under the bridge. And what we do not realize is that when we give that kind of analogy, like water under a bridge, what we are actually saying is, I am a bridge. I am big. I am strong. I can support other people. And, there's, and, he, and it's saying, I go through things, and it's just like water. It just passes by. It just goes by. It's nothing. Oh, that happened a year ago. That happened two years ago. That happened three years ago. Water under a bridge. Here today, gone tomorrow. It's over. Yeah, that was so long ago. And when people know you've been through something, you try to act strong and you're like, how do you feel about that? That was like a year ago. (laughs) I'm good because it was so long ago. The fact of the matter is there are many things that it's not water under a bridge. In fact, if you're honest, you're not that bridge. You're actually in that water. And it is taking you places. And there are things, there are memories, there are thoughts, and there are people, and they haunt your soul. 
and they live inside of you. And you are triggered by all types of things, of memories and of people because you're moved like someone in a river. No, it's not water under a bridge. The truth is when we honor our sadness, we are more willing to accept it. When we just are able to say, I am sad about this. Yeah, I'm still sad about that person, about that situation. Sadness acknowledges I cared. And the one thing we, wanna, the one thing we don't want to do is act like we actually cared. We want to act like it's all good. We want to be callous because we don't want to show they got to me. We want to show that I'm, you know, I'm fine now. And so this, it leads to this other myth, which is thinking that grieving has a time limit. When we put time stamps on grief, we end up encouraging other people to stuff down their sadness. When you've had people who cared for you deeply and did even small things. I remember, you know how you have fake aunts and fake uncles? I had an Aunt Viola. And when my parents got a divorce, my Aunt Viola would come over all the time. Now, again, she's not my real aunt. She was just a woman in the church. But she came over all the time. And she would sit with my mom. And, and to be honest with you, her and I had very few conversations. But I remember... When she died, I remember I was crying and I was crying and I was crying. And there was something that there was something about her presence that made me feel comfort. There, there was just something about her presence. And when she died and you know what I kept saying to myself? I don't know what's wrong. I, stop. You know, and I, want, I, I was like, I don't want to feel this way. I just I, let me. And, and it would be a year later. And I'd be like, come on, stop sadness. Ch chill. chill. And, and, and I couldn't allow myself to sit and really think about it. And it took years to sit and realize that when I saw my Aunt Viola, this woman in our church, you see, I, growing up in New York, all my family was in Mississippi. So my mom didn't really have sisters. You know, she has eight sisters. I mean, eight, eight family members, five sisters. So we, she actually has sisters. But I never could call anyone in New York aunt. So we did that with church folk. And when she died, she was like the first family member that I was close to because all my family members lived in the South. But I never thought about that. I was like, why? I was like, man, let me stop tripping over that. And then, and then the more I looked at it, I was like, man, I miss her. She meant a lot to me, even though we didn't get that time. You see, when you stuff sadness away, you don't discover what's going on inside of you. You don't discover who you valued, what you cared about. And when you don't know what you care about, you become a ruthless person. And the truth is, is that grief can last a lifetime. And there are some things that we're not going to get over quickly. Now, as we look at these myths and I talk about sadness, I think it is important to note that there is a difference between being depressed and having depression. Sometimes you will be sad for long bouts, long cycles of time. You will feel down. And in that down feeling, it's understandable. You're going through something. It could be for a season. 
But we have to note that there will be some of you that may be going through clinical depression. You might just not have a spiritual issue. You might have a social, psychological, even chemical imbalance that you might need to be dealt with in therapy or seeing a doctor. And if that's the case, that's okay. Um, Sometimes a therapist can give you tools to get out of a cycle of grief, or there might be medicine that you need to get. If you feel like you've not been able to reach out to anyone, we do have um, an opportunity for you to get counseling. If you go to our uh, app, um, if you go into our app, there is a button, the connect button. You click on that button, and then once you click on that button, um, there's a counseling tab, and you click on that, and just tell us what you're going through, and we'll be able to direct you to who you may need. Now, what's the danger? If you never really learn what you're sad about, if you tough your way through it, you end up operating. You see, the opposite of sadness is self-pity. And self-pity is when we don't take ownership of our sadness and we try to give it to someone, somebody else. We don't allow ourselves to grieve. We don't allow ourselves to really sit and talk about what we valued. So what ends up happening is I try to make you feel what I refuse to feel. And so I talk about my problems and my problems are super unique. My problems are only to me. And, I, and you isolate yourself. And then when people ask you about it, you want them to feel with you. And you can, it's almost like you're constantly in a therapy session of wanting people to feel for you and feel with you, feel bad for you. And self-pity stays in this space of constantly getting people to understand what's wrong with you. In many ways, because you haven't sat and understood what's wrong inside of you yourself. So here's what we have to do. And the scriptures kind of paint for us this picture in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 7, it reads this way. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Listen to this. For this is the end of all mankind and living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. That word mirth means pleasure. Basically, what Solomon says is he, he, he starts off and says straight out the gate, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. And it trips you out because you would say, no, 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 it's better to go to the house of pleasure. It's better to go to the house of feasting. Who wants to go to the house of mourning? Who wants to go to the house of grieving? Who would want to go to the house of pain? And he says, it's better to go to that house. So here he pictures two homes. Think of it as two temporary homes. And he says, life is filled with going back and forth from these homes, joy and pain, sadness and goodness, pain and pleasure. And he says, it's actually better when you're over here. And you think to yourself, why would you say it's better? And the truth of the matter, when you look there in verse three, he says, sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of faith, face, 
the heart is made glad. He says what ultimately gets produced is a glad heart. The fact of the matter is, he's not saying just hang out in grief all day. He's speaking to another person. He's speaking to people that have been in pain and and don't want to sit in the house of pain. So what they do is they avoid pain by always hanging out with pleasure. You know these people. They always are excusing or running past or moving beyond sitting in pain so they work or they party or they do things, but they avoid the house of pain by always hanging out in the house of pleasure or the house of work, but they avoid sitting. They avoid, they're like Brenda, they avoid having to stop because the reason why Brenda couldn't stop working because if she knew she stopped working, she'd cry and she'd start crying about her brother and she'd start crying about her father and she'd start crying about her family and she didn't want to feel that so she wanted to stay in a different house. And what Solomon says is that's not real life. And when you sit in the house of pain, you start to understand what you've been through and you start to understand the goodness of God because guess who's in that house with you? God is sitting with you in that pain. And the reality is, is that life is hard and life is not all that it seems. And there is a place that's better. And that's why he says the house of pleasure is just a momentary reality because one day we're going to be in a kingdom with Jesus and he's going to sit with us and we'll be glad all day. The reality is we are in in a place of constant pain. And he says, this is what he says. He says, when when Big Mama used to get up there and give her testimony, when my Aunt Viola used to get up there and give her testimony, and she'd talk about all these things that she had been through, and then she'd stomp her foot on the ground and say, but there's something about the goodness of Jesus. It was gladness of heart. You see, you can't get that when you try to avoid pain. You can't get that when you try to Airbnb the house of pain, but you try to live all the time in the house of pleasure. You got to go through some things and not just go through them. You got to work through them with Jesus. It is when you work with things, work through things with Jesus that you have this full heart. And it's not that you just have a glad heart. It's about who makes your heart glad. It's Jesus giving you that glad heart because he sat with you through troubled times. Well, there's nothing wrong with the house of pain. The problem is who's in that house with you. You numb yourself from the pain. You don't want to talk about painful things. My kids, my kids and I, I said, I'm doing this sermon on emotion, you know? So we watched this movie, Inside Out. One of the things that you just can't do is watch a movie with your kids and then like your kids are watching this one part and they're like, oh, and you're blubbering in tears, right? You're just like, <gasps> and they're like, you okay? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's a cartoon. But, but it was so funny because I'm watching this movie last night with my kids. Now I was, I was okay, but I definitely cried. And so I'm sitting there watching it. And the whole movie is about this little girl who moved from San Francisco with her dad and her mom. And she goes through all these trials, but she literally has these emotions, joy and sadness in her. And the whole time, joy doesn't want sadness to mess with anything inside. It's like showing these emotions inside this little girl. 
And finally, at the end of the movie, joy allows sadness to actually start affecting what's going on inside of her. And it was only at the moment that she allowed herself to be sad that she starts crying. And then she tells her dad, I miss San Francisco. And that's true of some of you. You miss people. You cared for people. You hurt for people. You are still sad about situations and about people. You are still sad about fathers and mothers. You are still sad about the people that you thought would be with you. You are still sad and you can't say, I miss them. You won't let yourself say it. Because you saw someone hurt you years ago and you said, instead of living in both houses, you said, I will never feel that again. And if you never feel that again, then you'll never have a full life. She said, I miss San Francisco. And the truth of the matter is that if you really want a full life, it's not about what emotions you go through. It's who you go through the emotions with. Part of the problem of sitting in sadness is it is horrible to sit in sadness alone. Can you imagine going to a funeral of someone you love alone? Can you imagine someone in that casket and you're there alone, we know when someone dies close to another person, we know that's when they need people. It is through sadness that we have grief and we connect with others and they counsel us and they sit with us. But ultimately, we want people to sympathize with us. That's why we memorialize people. We talk about them and everybody shares what they went through and we grieve together. But the truth of the matter is, you'll be able to sit in sadness more properly when you understand the beauty of the sympathy of Jesus. Hebrews 4 puts it this way, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted. Jesus is the sympathizer. And because he is able to fully sympathize, he is able to sit with you and fully understand everything you feel. When I was a kid, my Aunt Viola, she would sing... And she would say, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And look, look, this is what she says. She said, Jesus knows all about our troubles. He will guide you till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. And then everybody would rock in the church and they say, no, not one. No, not one. These are husbands and wives next to each other saying, no, not one. 
Because there's no one that can sympathize with you and sit with you like Jesus. And you will be perpetually running from sadness if you never have someone who sympathizes with you and for you. And with that, if you allow yourself to feel sadness, name what you're sad about, talk through it, you'll have a healthy view of sadness. And that means you're capable of giving yourself to people and things that matter, knowing there's a price tag. You'll care again, but you'll know caring means there's a price tag. Caring, if I care for you, that means you can hurt me. If I sit with you and I give myself to you and if I'm honest with you and I'm vulnerable with you and if I'm authentic with you and I give you my very best and you leave all of my investment in you, I'll get hurt again. You can let me down. You can let me down. And many of you have lived a life where you don't want to be let down again. You don't want to be vulnerable again. You don't, want to, you don't want to care again because it hurts so much and it makes you so sad. But Jesus is the ultimate who sympathizes with us. Because you know when the scriptures in Isaiah 53 said they rejected him, you know who rejected him? Us. We rejected him. And in our rejection, we let him down. And you know what? When I was running from Jesus, do you know what Jesus said? It's worth it. And love is worth the pain. And if you are going to be a full person, you will live with people that can hurt you and you will love them deeply. But every time you care for somebody, just know there's a price tag and it's worth it because love is worth the pain. Father, we thank you for the, the depth of what sadness is and what it does in our hearts. And we thank you, God, that there's this, these two houses and we know that there's a reality of, there's a reality that we want to avoid that house of pain and grieving. But all of our ancestors who knew Jesus, they, they went through that house and it made them strong and it made them know the goodness of God. And Lord, let us be able to sit in that house with you, not to avoid it, but just to sit with it and know what we truly valued and know that we value you more than above all else. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.